Hi, I'm Len Epp from Lean Pub, and in this episode of the Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Simone Cuomo. Based in Swansea and currently working for the JavaScript consultancy This.Labs, Simone is a software architect, speaker, and a mentor who has helped many people from all kinds of backgrounds get their first job in tech. You can follow him on Twitter at Zelig880 and check out his website at Zelig880.com. Simone is the author of the Lean Pub book, Beyond Coding, a guide for aspiring developers and junior developers to learn anything there is to know to successfully start their career in tech. In the book, Simona covers all the important areas you'll need to think about to prepare for and start your career in tech, including an introduction to software development, in-depth interview tips and explanations, clean code practices, and the structure of a typical career path and negotiation. In this interview, we're going to talk about Simona's background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience as a self-published author. So thank you very much, Simona, for being on the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I know you have an interesting one, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, where you grew up and how you found your way to where you are now, uh, where, where you're living, and your career. Uh, it is indeed an interesting story. So um, I am originally from Italy. So I was uh, born and um, I stayed in, in Naples until I was 19 years old. Um, uh, I've lived a uh, you know, um, none of my family is in IT, in tech, or nothing like that. So I live my life working as either a lifeguard or uh, in uh, in in a bar, and then as a waiter in Italy. And then I decided to move to UK to learn a little bit of English. As you know, as I was in Italy, I knew that English was very important and was necessary. So I've um, I left Italy when I was nineteen, and I went to UK in Swansea, as a precisely. Um, just with a with a return ticket, so I was supposed to go back after three months. Uh, and as we all know, things don't go as planned. I went to UK. I found a job. Uh, the job required me to stay a bit longer than three months. And um, and then yeah, I moved there um, again. Always as a waiter, uh, I started a degree in business management economics. So actually, again, nothing was related to tech or to what I ended up doing. Uh, I did my degree in business and um, I ended up uh, opening a cafe with my uh, newly found wife in UK, uh, fun enough Italian as well. So we both found ourselves uh, 3,000 miles away from home. Um, uh, so yeah, we did university, we finished university, we opened our own cafe and we had a business for around two years. At the end of the two years, is where things go, uh, changed a little bit. We decided to sell the cafe. And uh, from a business degree, uh, I really loved accounting. I really loved economics. I was into economics. So that was my dream. Uh, we, I found myself on a, you know, a, G, a T junction. And for some reason that I call it fate, there's more information in the book. But, uh, a friend of mine just told me uh, that I had the right skills to be a developer. And funny enough, I. Uh, I looked around on the internet, I could see that there were some position going, and I spent a couple of weeks uh, learning JavaScript on YouTube. So I was, you know, I was playing around, so, you know, um, you know, trying to do web, WordPress website, and thought, oh, I'm a developer, I've done a website on WordPress, and then started to go deeper. I was like, okay, no, I'm not, I'm not a developer yet. <laughs> uh, and then learned more, and then I did some uh, open cart, and then I asked, you know, my brother said, oh, I need a site for this. So I spent a couple of two or three weeks playing around. Um, and I managed to uh, then, um, I, I sent application to a couple of positions uh, around my area and I managed to actually, I was offered a job for two of the applications I sent on the bed. It was, it was even spam within two weeks. Um, yeah, and, and that's how my career started. So very unexpectedly, uh, and still, I still find it hard to explain to my mom what I do. She still has no idea. 
so yeah, it's been a great experience. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing that. I want to ask you a little bit more about about um, where you, where you're from. Um, you mentioned in your book, so you've just said you're from Napoli, um, and uh, you've got this very um, striking line in in your book where you say that there's a, a saying, um, "People that are born round don't die square." Correct. And I was wondering it's, if you could you could talk a little bit about that. That's a very that's a very powerful little saying. Yeah, it's um, um so um you know one of the guy actually uh, read the book um actually uh, reached out on Twitter to tell me the same thing. So I was like, oh, we don't usually use that in you you know in UK, and it's been a very powerful. So what that means is that um. Uh, when I was born, I was always had a lot of aspirations. You know, I was very driven. I wanted to do more. So I used to tell my mom, oh, mom, I'm going to do this. And dad, dad, I'm going to do this. But usually what the reply I usually had from my parents is nothing to do with their parents, but it was the culture. They were used to tell me, look, darling, you know, if you were born a son of a doctor, yeah, you may become a doctor. If you were born a son of a, of a businessman, you would probably return there. But in Italy, things don't work, or more precisely in Naples, things don't work as you think. Like... If you're born, in, you know, you know, as it was in the past, if you were born in a specific um, a job or sector, it was it's very hard to move around. So I lived my life and worked very hard with the possibility and aspiration to move. And everyone around me would used to that was used to tell me, nah, that doesn't happen. It's just it's not a fairy tale. So you know, I had this. So, so and that's probably one of the reasons why um, I never went back after I moved to UK, because the mentality was different. The mentality UK is if you work hard, you get paid. You know, if you work hard, you succeed. If you work hard, you move forward. When I was in Italy, I was used to work for, um, you know, for hours and hours, all the summers and all the winter. But at the end of the day, I was not the one either being retributed or the ones praised. It was always the upper manager. It was always the boss. And that's the, that's the environment was all from. So I was very, very lucky to be able to keep my self-motivation, I think. And luckily also to have found the UK, I have to be honest, I, you know, I'll pay, you know, I'll put my hands up for this country that has supported me since I moved. Yeah, thanks very much for that. That's, um, that's interesting. I, I, I've had, you know, I think, and probably a lot of people listening have had kind of similar experiences growing up where, you know, you might be in a very loving family in a very loving environment and community, but there might be some gravity there. <laughs> uh, that's yes. kind of, you know, that to put it, to put it negatively is, is, is there to keep you down. Um, okay. And often, and often in, in your place, you know, and uh, or in your in, in the metaphor, and you're saying in your shape, um, and uh, and um, and being able to leave and go somewhere else uh, can be very, very freeing in a way where you it's kind of like you're more you you can be more yourself from in a place where you're not from sometimes. Um, and uh, and I, I specifically had that experience moving to the UK myself uh, a long time ago. But I moved. I grew up in this part of Canada where. You know, there's not a lot of opportunity and the kind of attitude, you know, you were you were just explaining is is there uh, or was there, at least in, in application to me. And, um, you know, there was, you know, more opportunity for me in a corner of London than there was in the whole country. And, uh, you know, it was it was a very kind of, you know, exciting experience to, to sort of like. You know, I mean, you can, can think of all sorts of romantic analogies, but it's kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a, if you're an an orca and you've been raised in a water park or something and you're finally in the ocean and you're like oh yeah this is what it was supposed to be like and, and it might be scarier but but you know uh but but still like this is the way it was supposed to be so that's really fascinating and so actually i've got a question about that so uh, this is kind of important i guess but so when you moved to the uk you could just move there yeah. right correct yes I was, uh, we're still still part of europe 
Yeah, yeah. You didn't need to get a visa and stuff like that. Um, Not so. That was the beauty. Yeah, the beauty of Europe. So I was just able to just get a get a plane. Right, and is that true for people from Italy now? Uh, not unfortunately. Uh, so now to UK, to move to UK, if you are part of Europe, is a bit different. So you can move if you have a um, a professional job or skilled job, and there is a minimum wage that you will have to earn when you move in. Uh, I don't know the real details. I know the things since Brexit, they've been changing the things slowly to actually make it where as it was before, like free for all. But there is a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, the, it, you don't need a visa to come in, but you need a bit of uh, paperwork that is more than uh, I ever needed before. Uh, and as a, as a non-European, um, I had, when I, when I came, I had some risk, or when I started to work there, I had similar restrictions. And this is just very particular for people who are thinking of moving to the UK. Um, do you know if people from the, the sort of the, Europe, do they have to, in addition to getting a professional job, does the employer have to sort of make a statement that I couldn't find anyone in the UK to do an equivalent job? Because that, that was true for me. They had to say, you know, oh yeah, there, there's something special about this job or this person. That means, you know, mm -hmm. we couldn't find anyone here. No, it's, it's not, it doesn't go as far as that. Okay. So for my understanding for European people is, is not a visa, it's not a working visa, it's not um, a sponsorship as they say. Is more about a, just an agreement that you tell the government, you know, um, you know, I am working and I'm here this much. So for my understanding, no, there is no limitation on that. Okay, great. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm partly asking because I know that in part of your work forum, it's this dot labs. Is that correct? The JavaScript. Concept? I work for this dot labs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So and, they're, they're based in U US. They're based in the U.S. and they're fully remote. I think is is that correct? correct? Right, right. And correct. so, yeah, the the sort of. I, but I was asking because I knew you'd know something about you know recruiting and and some of the rules around that. Um, but um, uh, just just asking it sort of anecdotally, um, has it become more difficult for companies in the U.K. since Brexit to recruit? Let's say let's 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 limit it to programmers like you know from Europe. Yes, extremely. Um, so what they did uh, when Brexit happened, people thought that, um, you know, people in UK thought, oh, you know, we're going to get the, the, the power back to, uh, to employ who we want. But what has actually happened is many skilled people now, they're turning their head against UK. So there's loads of doctors not coming anymore. There's loads of people that are needed that are not coming. So there's been a, a bit of, um, you know, show, you know showstopper for people not crossing the, the you know the, the channel anymore and uh, and it, it, as you go around here yeah, you can actually sit everywhere so loads of restaurants have signs outside to say sorry we couldn't get staff the service is going to be very slow um there are practices and things that actually slow down dentists that have to do the same the same is happening with it. so you can feel it around that um has not been the greatest but you know, there was more than that behind the Brexit decision. So I'm not here to, to make the choice and everything. But yeah, it's been quite complicated. Yeah, no, yeah, no, thank you very much for saying that. And yeah, I'm not trying to put you on the spot and make you commit to a position for one side or the other. But um, I would I would just, you know, as, as someone who's, you know, like you has moved from one place to another, um, regressive changes. And I, I, I mean, I can take a position if I want, but I, I was against, against Brexit. And I would say that one of the big problems with regressive changes uh, where, where limitations on freedom are imposed that were previously released or something like that is that um, if you take if you if you go back and say again and say no no these freedoms are back people are not necessarily going to believe you and now they've got this understanding that like an election can over referendum can overturn it and okay. you know and and so you can't you just can't trust it um, and so that's that's one of the reasons that those fights are so momentous right and and but but as mm -hmm. you said as you said there was a lot more than European kind of migration going on in in in, in that uh, in that decision. Yeah.
Um, and so uh, actually I've got, so you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a great um, uh, person to answer this question, uh, which comes up oh. frequently on this podcast, which is um, if you were starting out in a career now, like you was just, you just moved to the UK for the first time, you're 18 years old, let's say, um, and you, you were like, I wanna have a career in tech. And you knew that, you knew that then. Would you get a computer science degree or would you go the self-taught route again, as it were? <laughs> Yeah, so um, I have a lot of uh, experience in this and I'm really, really happy to provide the answer. So um, truth be told, a, a computer science degree is not needed. Uh, there's nothing wrong itself with computer science degree. So it does give the bound, it got, does give the foundation that you need and it helps though. But unfortunately, um, I think on average, all, in all the companies that I worked with, the consultant with, the average is always around 50, 50 or 60, 40, where 60% of people do not have a computer science degree. And I've seen people in principal architects not having a computer science degree. I don't have it now, and I'm a software architect. And uh, so, you know, I would say that not having a degree does not stop you to get a job. Uh, something else is what that they usually say that um, is, um, is a word of warning for people that actually are, that do the computer science degree, is that um, unfortunately the computer science degree gives people a, um, a cushion, a, you know, they, people expect to know enough to be able to get a job. So what happens usually when you interview people and you interview someone that comes out of university is that they expect to know enough that they should get the job. So they expect the job to be, you know, they say I've done three years. Some people do it after six months and 100 days. Why should they not be ready when they've done just 100 days of code or, or course on YouTube? And is the problem is actually is the frame of mind. So what I, usually, what I wrote in the book as well, there's a whole section because I've interviewed so many people in this, this position, previous position, is that when you really get your first job, no one absolutely care about if you know how to do an object or if you know what an array is or, or whatever. Because in reality, what you learn, there's a very, very small possibility that what you learn is precisely what you need in the current job. At your very first position, people need, um, it's your drive. It's your willingness to learn. And also it's your willingness to say, I don't know enough, I will learn. And usually it's that that is missing from people that come from university because they come, they show you the end of year, it's usually, you know, an end of your project or someone from university is a great thing, but it is not as brightful as you would expect of someone that has years and years of experience. But they cherish that. And usually they come and say, look, I've done this project. What do you expect? You know, and there's too much of a drive to, to try and show that they're better than they are. And that's usually put them in the wrong, wrong spot. So that's usually, you know, that's what I would say usually for a computer science degree. It's not needed. But on the other hand, if you're able to have a good, good frame of mind and actually know that you're ready to learn more, then the computer science degree will give you the foundation to actually get further up. Because as you reach a senior or an architect level, you need those real deep understanding and fundamental that a self-thought doesn't have. So I found myself in that level where I had to do loads of studying to catch up on the people who had the computer science degree. And did you did you find um, when you were you, you're becoming becoming self-taught and you you decided to sort of try going down this path and you I, I, it's really interesting you tell the story in your book that you kept you kept alive the possibility of being an accountant as well at the same time as you were as you were trying this out. Um, do you think that spending a few years in formal study though, even if it was in another subject, was very helpful for you when you were you know going down this path independently later of learning? Correct. Basically? Correct. I think. Um... 
you know, you, as soon as I say that, usually people reply and say, oh, that means that you, you know, universities are useless. And I always reply that that's not the case because what university does, they, they teach you how to learn. They teach you how to take ownership and complete tasks. They teach you how to actually, uh, you know, uh, be in control of yourself and your own self-studies. I don't know if universities the same in Canada or the rest of the world, but in UK, they don't, you know, you don't have anyone next to you to say you have to study. You don't have to, anyone next to you to say you have to get ready for the exam. And it's that self-learning, that, that, that having to find the motivation in the morning to go in the library and get ready for studying. And it's that drive is what actually is needed in life. Then you can be studying geography, you can be studying physics or computer science. You need that. So there is, you know, there is something to be taken out of the university for sure. Yeah, I got to say, I, I completely, I completely agree with that. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting though. I mean, the, I mean, in Canada, um, I think, I think like typically um, it's, it's, it's kind of, there's just two kinds of, there's, I mean, you can split up the world into two kinds of people in infinite number of ways. Right. But there's, there's some people who just kind of, you know, need, need, need or want more kind of formal guidance. And there's other people who just like want, like, leave me the, the fuck alone right and like you know I, I i was definitely in the leave me the leave me the fuck alone camp when i was an undergrad and and i did a, i did a doctorate in the uk and that was very very different not from the north american model right and in, in the in the uk model in the university i went to it's just you're all but dissertation basically from day one so my joke was like they you get there they're like welcome and they they fly you out like a little kite and then they tie the end to a rock and they walk away and they come back three years later and go like you know so what have you got for me you know and that that's a joke but you know but for some people that's like absolutely the best thing um and for other people it's you know you come back and the kite's just in tatters on the ground five feet away and it's been there for two and a half years um so it so it can depend but i would say definitely i agree with you that like one of the things that one can get from just a, a few years in university is having an environment in which it's sort of like safer to sort of learn how to learn on your own and how to be independent and sort of how to be a professional right like mm -hmm. you know if, if, if you're you'll learn you'll learn in that environment that like you shouldn't be late with your assignments um yeah. <laughs> you need to plan ahead you should probably attend your classes you know mm -hmm. things like that um how to handle deadlines that's something that you will get in work you know the the, the pressure of having something that need to be ready tomorrow uh, and like you mentioned, you know, the prof you know, sending professional email, dealing with people that are professional, that's needed no matter what position you get later down the line. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, so uh, um, typically the structure of these interviews is, you know, we talk about the person's background and, and career and stuff and where they, how they got to where they are, which we've done. And then, and then we'll talk about their book. But sometimes the book is kind of like, it's about, it's about their career and things like that, right? So, so they, they, the, the two sort of sections kind of you know, yes. merge into each other. Um, and so uh, your, book, your book talks a little bit about how to begin a career in tech. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience with your first job or two and imposter syndrome. Yes, yes. Um, that's probably, um, as I see in the book, and you know, I, I, again, I don't want to face the book straight away, but um, I know that it's not easy to get. Uh, and what I've done in the past years is um, I've tried to help people that were probably in the same situation where they were badly driven, they wanted to learn. And, I'm, uh, and I know how complicated it is at the start to feel ready to actually go forward. Um, I was really lucky that when I got my first position, not actually the first position, my second position, um, I, um, you know, I was, um, I had a few people around me, a few developers that were very keen in supporting my growth. So they were not 
there, you know, there's the there's two different senior developers. There's the senior developers that usually look you from the up down and show you how to do things that show off. And then there's the other senior developer that actually sits with you and try to explain. So I was lucky enough to have two people that were like, you know, very close to me, they would supported me in my career. But every day you will wake up and you will always think that you didn't know. So every day you will go to work and you were not ready for it. So when I went from my first position to my second position, the, the, the uh, imposter syndrome was really strong because every time you think, oh, and you know, I know more, and then you start to go to the internet and do a little bit of practicing to say a question for interview, and you go and say, you know, you know, there are questions, you know, you will never know the question for the interview, and that brings you down. Or you meet someone new, for example, I was used to do loads of meetup, and I was used to go out in here and about when we were still able to meet and meet people up, and the conversation would go in things that they wouldn't know. And people were talking APIs, and people were talking of, you know, backend server people, and I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And you will go slowly in the corner. Um, but then realized with time that it's absolutely normal not to know because there's so much that need to be known uh, that there's no way for you to actually know all of it. And it's the understanding that as long as you are okay to know, what, to be ready and be happy to say what you know, that's when you start, the imposter stream will start to go down. So I was used to do a um, conference talk a, a few years ago where, uh, there was this very simple image of a very small circle that is your knowledge and surf and then there were hundreds and hundreds of other small circles around and sometimes your knowledge overlap with someone just a little bit and sometimes your knowledge doesn't overlap at all but doesn't mean that someone else's circle is bigger than yours it's just a mis it's just a misalignment of knowledge so uh, with the book and with everything I've always done on twitter for a bit is is trying to help people understand uh, this overlapping of, of knowledge. And starting people to understand that um, as long as they focus on what they know and they're happy with what they have, usually that's enough to bring them forward. Because if you start to compare yourself with the people around you, you'll, you know, you know, you start with, I need to know HTML or CSS or JavaScript. I need to know server. I need to know how to deploy. I need to know backend. The people will start to do everything when it's not needed. You just need to know your circle in specializing that and grow it slowly. Yeah, it's, thank you very much. That's, it, it's reminding me, there's a, I thought it might've been in your book, but I, I was just looking here, but I think it's in a blog post where you actually have, uh, where you talk about your 10 year, uh, I think it's a very recent one where you talk about you know, reaching your 10th year in your career. Yes. And you have this, okay. this, this sort of chart where there's a line starting at the left at the bottom saying, this is how much, and it's, the, it's how much you know or, or, and, and, and your attitude towards it, right? And it's like, the bottom left is like, you started going, I know I know nothing. And then, you know, the first sort of peak is like, I know everything. And, yeah. and, then, and, and then it goes, and then it goes down again. And as you, as you mature and you're like, then you become like, what is it like depressingly, overly realistic or something <laughs> like something like that. Um, and you go back down to the feeling that you had at the beginning where it's like, oh, now I know how much I don't know. You know, as opposed to knowing there's a lot that I don't know, I know exactly how much I don't know. And then, and then if you work at it, you know, you can, you can progress and the line just goes up to the right. And, and that's precisely the circle. So you start to learn and you think you know nothing. You think you know everything. And then you get exposed with someone with a different circle. And you start to understand what you don't know. And you slowly expand your circle. But yeah, it's, the, it's, the, it's something that I always try to tell people. Uh, usually happens on your second year of experience. Is the time where first, second years when you reach the top, when you really think you know absolutely everything. I've done interviews with them. Uh, I still remember the interview with the junior developer. He came in, he had one and a half year experience and he came to the interview and I was like, okay, can you tell me what are your experiences? What do you know about JavaScript or HTML? And he turned to me and said, I know 
all the JavaScript and HTML API, everything. <laughs> and I, you know, at that, I completely stopped. I was like, wow, that's amazing. So you can tell me everything about the audio API and the video API. And, and, and I was like, no, I haven't done that. In that case, it's done. So they, they, that knowledge, they thought they knew everything because they just knew what to do what they did in their own work. And then as soon as you break that, you really go deep down and think, okay, I don't know everything. Yeah, that's that's really great. I mean, and, and the, I think it's important. One of the important things, and one of the things that I think is so generous about your writing on this subject is that, like, you've been through it, and you and you know, you know what it's like, and the the exuberance that one can express and feel uh, is is quite natural uh, when you <laughs> when you're sort of you know first first sort of getting gaining your sea legs, and you sort of like get excited. Like, I'm not I'm not getting seasick and falling over all the time. Now I can climb climb to the crow's nest or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but there's still a lot to learn when the first storm comes or what have you. Um, but um, uh, and so it's it's really interesting too. One thing you, you don't you don't so much talk about the sort of negative version of this, but um, in order to progress in a career, and this is true in, in other things, not just in tech, but like you can just kind of coast, right? Um, and and that's that's again putting it negatively, but like you know that's perfectly fine if if you know if you if you've learned all you need to learn and you've you've attained the job security you want and you've got if you're you know making the amount of money that you want and you sort of see a natural kind of you know I'll go up every couple of years in terms of the titles at my company or something like that perfectly like no judgment perfectly fine but if you if you do want to sort of you know really you know kind of do the exponential mm -hmm. thing in terms of knowledge and career growth you have to make a decision that you want to do it and you have to have the passion to do that um, and uh, you had a moment in your career where you, I think you tell the story and I think it's either in the book or in your blog post where you're like, you know, I sat down at the kitchen table with my wife and I said, you know, in five years, I'm going to be a tech I want to be here. Yeah. And, and you did it, but you had to have a plan. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that was like, you know, where, you know, you were probably like thinking every day, what, what can I do into my daily practice to sort of try and get somewhere in a couple of years. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how your, what your thoughts were at the beginning about how to do that and how they changed over time until you, you did get your first sort of tech lead position. Yeah. So um, now there, there, was, there wasn't much, um, uh, you know, thinking behind the agreement of uh, I'm going to be a CTO in five years. Okay. It was probably my big aspiration and me really wanting to push forward. But uh, like you said, there was a plan then going forward. Um, what I usually do is um, uh, two things. Number one, I, um, I think this should be important that everyone should always do. You should always have someone, a role model, someone that you look up and someone that you always look at and, and think he does something better than you do. So what do you usually do with my work if I'm a junior developer? I, will, I wouldn't get a CTO or a senior developer. I will find either a, 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 another member of staff with a similar year experience but a bit better than me or a mid-developer. And I will learn what it does differently than me trying to learn it. I will try to set myself as boundaries and level up with them. So him or her. So let's say, for example, um, you know, I noticed that, uh, you know, he can take bigger tickets than I do while I can just take a back ticket. I can see that when we are in meeting, that person can drive a bit more and be expressed more and I cannot do it. So I, was, I usually, I look, I, I keep my eyes very open, no matter what is the circumstances. So I do that continuous learning and continue setting myself standards. And again, they don't have to be too far up or too intangible because you cannot be a junior developer and say, next six months, I'm going to drive this meeting of 20 people. It's differently. You have to take something that is within the reach and have to be in the short term. So I usually do, I've done this all my career. So mid-developers, senior developers, the guy that is very good at joining meeting, the guy that is very good and the managers really like him because he gets things done. Usually I always try to see different things and learn the good from everyone. 
But what is also important is for me to stop and always think about where I was six months ago. So I do that self-learning of not only where I want to go, but also stop. Because sometimes when you always want to look forward, you feel like you're never achieving because you always have something more to do and something more to do. So um, the one thing I usually do that as well with my when I, when I coordinate project, I always like to do very small tickets, very small tangible action. Because there's nothing worse when you every day for a week you wake up and you're working on the same thing. Create REST API, create REST API. You will feel demotivated. It's really good when you go small, uh, tangible action. So if you actually change it and say, okay, today I'm just creating the REST API basics. Tomorrow I'm doing the read. The day after tomorrow I'm doing the write. You feel achieved because you see the progress. And sometimes in life, you, it's not always easy to see that progress. So if you stop and you think about yourself six months ago, you feel you will find the progress. Because even if you don't want to progress further, you will mature, even if it's just a matter of age. And that maturity is what then brings you, then it gives you more energy to think forward. One of the really interesting challenges of advancing in a kind of structured corporate environment um, and, and sort of deciding that you want to advance is that you then need to be very concerned about how you're perceived. Um, because you know, when, when, when your advancement is based on other people's decisions about you and other people's you know, defending you or promoting you or attacking you, um, how, you're, how, you, how you're perceived becomes very important. Um, and um, that brings up questions around honesty, which is kind of a theme that runs through, runs through your work. Um, and there's a really great story that you tell uh, about how um, you were in a meeting, and this was, I think, maybe your relatively yes. early days of your tech, you know, tech lead. And a question was asked of you, you know, like that you were expected to be able to answer, and you invoked, "Well, I'm going to have to ask someone," and it was someone lower down in the rung who wasn't in the yes. meeting. And then there was a, I, I gather, the colleague is a friendly word, but there was a colleague of yours who then said, "Simone shouldn't be in his position. Here's the proof right in front of you." Mm -hmm. And I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could talk a little bit about the the, the choice you made to express the truth of the matter and what happened? So, um, you know, when I become a tech lead, um, I, I raised my concern with my, with my wife because I knew that I felt like I was not the right person for the job. And the main reason for it, because I had like three, four years experience, five, and some member of my team had over 15 years, 14 years experience. Some of them were in their 30s. I was still in my 20s. So uh, as you may expect, as you just said right now, you, as, you, as you progress, you don't always have to think about your bosses, but you also need to think, look at your shoulder because there will be people behind you. So you need to make everyone happen and really try to uh, understand the situation. Um, I always use, um, I always use um, um, honesty as my power. As, as my strength, okay? Um, I didn't know until really late in time, and, and that was probably one of the first occurrences, that honesty was actually what, what brought me where I, where, where I was, okay? Um, so, um, you, know, to, to, you know, for people that have not read the book, yes, you know, I was, I was told, um, you know, I was told that I was not the right person because I was actually not able to answer a question that was supposed to be a technical question. Uh, but the truth be told is that uh, actually the fact that I was able to, um, the fact that actually I was able to, uh, to address my weakness, to share my weakness in public, to tell everyone about my weakness, that was my strength. Because, you know, we go back again to the imposter syndrome, yeah? Now, after many years experience, your circle can grow, can get very big, but it's never going to cover the whole spectrum. So that means that you need to really be, if you're honest with yourself, you will be able to say, look, wait a minute, my circle is very big and it goes a little bit over that side. 
but maybe we should actually go and ask someone else because that person, it's his circle, it's his core circle. And there's absolutely nothing wrong and no level of your, of, of your expertise to be able to say that. Of course, you know, you, you need to be able to get information, learn from it, and there will be times where that may not be possible. But that honesty, what, what that honesty actually was, was me really understanding what my circle was. Me really understanding what my core, my core was not about if I knew, and by the way, it was a CSS question. So it was as simple as a CSS question, but with a developer that was actually specialized and worked for years and years just on CSS. So why should they make a decision on something that someone else can actually make a better decision of? And this shows where um, the imposter syndrome then get away from yourself because you, if I'm able to say I don't know, I'm also able to say there's, I'm not hiding. I'm, I'm not hiding behind the show to say, I'm giving an answer that I'm not ready for. And that was probably the turning moment where I was able to really, um, you know, you know, that was what, it wasn't all the case that way. It happens many, many, many times after that, uh, because what it or not, there are people that may want your position and for people to want your position, they need to show that they're better than you. So there were, there were many occurrences of this, but that was probably the first occurrences where um, the fact that my manager supported me uh, in the, they, because they were the one to phrase it, they were the one actually who made me realize that I was my strength. At that moment in time, I didn't know yet. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I think that was a turning point. Yeah, just so we don't leave people with an ambiguous cliffhanger in the very meeting after this person kind of attacked you, then, then one, of your, one of your managers came to your defense and said, no, 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 it's the precise, the reason he's here is because he gave that answer. Right. Um, yeah. Which, which Correct. was yeah, sorry, very, apologies. Very, no, 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 no. I know, but that's, that's very smart. Um, uh, and so, yeah. And so actually, so interviews have come up a few times already and we're not, we're not going to, you know, give away the whole book or whatever. Everybody should buy, sorry. should buy uh, beyond coding, but, but um, there are some really great, there's a really great section in there on interviews and just, you know, for anyone listening, you know, going, going into your first interview can be very daunting. Um, you should mm -hmm. definitely prepare. And I was just wondering if you could talk for a little, a couple of minutes about, you know, if someone approached you, asked you, could you be my mentor for, you know, a little while? I'm, you know, I'm, I've got my first interview coming up for a tech job. What are, mm -hmm. what are th three or four things you can think of that you would, you would tell them if you only had, you know, let's say a, a one, one brief coffee or something? So, you know, uh, funny that you say, I'd actually, I actually do that on Twitter. So if I find people on Twitter that are learning how to study or they say that they need to do a first interview and I can see what they usually do, I go on their Twitter feed. If I can see that they're really driven, that they've really tried, I reach them out and I have a coffee chat. So that's actually precisely what I usually do. So I know how to answer the question because it's, it's true so, sorry. Um, usually, um, what, you know, in the, in the book, I go in many details and um, I've done many interviews. Um, in my previous job, I think I've interviewed probably three, 400 people. Uh, because we've grown from being just five to being a, a team of 130. And I interviewed every single person and we usually employed one person every five interviews. So if you compare that, to the, there were a lot of interviews there. In my current position as well, I'm also doing loads of interviews. Um, so that gave me a little bit of a strength on understanding what the interviews, uh, how, to, how, to, how the interview are and how to understand if the person is good or not in front of you. As I, started, as I, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast is, if you're at the very start of your career, people usually don't really, you know, don't care is the wrong word. People will not look at what you really know. What people really are interested is in the way you learned it, how you learned it, and how eager you are to learn more about it. So if I would have to give one suggestion to anyone that ever go to an interview, is think about that you're going to interview and you failed the interview. 
Okay, so don't go in and you think you've succeeded with the interview, but what you do when you go there, every question that you're given, if you don't know the answer, ask more, ask for a link to study more and to learn about it. So if someone comes to me to an interview and is a junior developer and they say something like, hey, do you know a SAS preprocessor? And they say no. For me, it's not a negative point because he's a junior, so maybe he doesn't know that, so I would find a different answer. But if that, if that junior then asks me and say, uh, have you got a link or, or, or just take so to say, I'm going to go and check it out because I think it's, inter it's important. That's the drive you need. Because a junior developer doesn't know everything. Okay? So when you join a company, the, the employee knows that they need to give you support. So if you show that you don't need really hand-holding, but you just need some guidance and that you do it by yourself, you're 50% 50 50 of the way through. That's the first and foremost, most important thing that you should say. Um, and secondly, then, is defining the imposter syndrome. So always train people to specify on something. Uh, there's one thing that I really dislike it when someone comes to an interview and say, hi, I, I've done 100 days of code. I'm a, I'm a junior full stack. And I wrote it in a book as well. Full stack means that you got a little dot everywhere in the map. You, you haven't made a circle. So what usually happens when people try to do that is they got very scattered knowledge and they show that they cannot really focus. And, you know, like when people say, oh, I know enough for HTML, so I'm jumping on JavaScript. It's like, well, you've done it for 10 days. No, you don't. That's something that you need to avoid because it gives the wrong impression to the person. So again, you need to impress the person to say, I can, I'm here to learn. I want to learn. I've done enough. If you tell me what to do more, I will do it. And this is usually the, the only drive you need. I, you know, again, your answer can be wrong. You may not be good. And also, you, uh, again, we go back to honesty. I think this is the last, the last thing I say. Um, if you go to an interview and you're trying to answer the question that you really don't know, the person in front of you will realize. Because you know, there are some junior don't realize how much you really live with experience. So if someone tells you, hey, do you know how to get a class? And you don't know, you try to give an answer from something that you know. The person in front of you precisely know that it's wrong. So there is a good, there's a power in actually being honest in the interview, because by saying that you don't know, may actually give the interviewer a chance to ask you a question that you may know. Or something else I usually tell people is if you don't know something precisely, let's say again we go back to SAS, there's something called SAS. Say, do you know SAS? If I don't know SAS, but I know less, instead of saying no, I don't know, I would usually say. I don't know that preprocessor, but I've worked with this, or I've worked with Tailwind. I may be wrong, but this is something similar. This, what, what that can, this can do, this can drive the conversation something, you know, and also show your honesty in agreeing that you don't know something. Because again, the, the person in front of you will know. And there's nothing worse than having a junior that lies in front of you, because as they lie there, they will lie on their work. But you want someone honest, someone that can tell you when they need help. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, I think that's, um, you have more experience interviewing than me, but that's, that's, uh, that sounds like really good advice. Um, and in particular, about, about particularly about honesty and um, it reminds me, um, this might be outdated information now, but, but back in the day, there used to be a sort of rumor um, in the investment banking world that, or not rumor, but like, you know, it was talked about that one of the Goldman Sachs had sort of notoriously sort of one of the most difficult kind of recruitment processes. Um, and one thing that they would do reportedly was, um, there would be one interview where they would, the plan was to corner you into a position to, to, to sort of like where they, they, they found something you didn't know and confront you with it. Uh, and this is an environment where you're supposed to sort of like, you know, know everything, right. And give the appearance of knowing everything, mm -hmm. but they deliberately and kind of like, you know, harshly corner you um, to see yeah. how, to see how you'll react. Right. And so, so, and, and, and there's, there's sort of, there's sort of like, um, 
just kind of chest thumping reasons to put someone through that. But there's also mm -hmm. other reasons to put some, someone through that. For example, if you're, if you're working for a, in the tech world, if you're working for a consultancy and you're, there's some company out there that's looking for a consultant and you're competing with other consultancies and they send you to sort of represent the company and you get asked a question that you don't know the answer to. How do you, how are you, and you're, you know, your bosses aren't there. They've sent you off mm -hmm. to try and get this contract. How they've got to, you know, have confidence in how you're going to react. So I say all this to say to someone who's like, if you're, if you're in an interview and you find yourself not knowing the answer to something, it's important to understand this doesn't mean you're a fool or you're an idiot or anything like that. Yeah. What treat it like that. Like this is a kind of, you know, this will happen to me in my career. If I, you know, in, even if I'm junior, if I'm senior, if I'm internal mm -hmm. or external, it's going to, it's going to happen. You should think in advance about like, actually seriously, like, how should I act? And when you, yeah. when you realize that, then honesty becomes the best answer. Um, Correct. I think. Correct. Yeah. And, and you, funny that you said about, you know, no matter experience, there is, um, I do, I love to listen to podcasts. And one of the podcasts that I listen is the one from West Boss, uh, uh, Syntax FM. Uh, Wes is a very known uh, good developer. About you know he, he knows a lot about React. He's a very well known person around the industry. What they do every now and then, they do an interview where they answer question, interview question to each other. And there's nothing more beautiful than see someone that everyone sees and put it on a, on. This is a god. This is amazing. Going and saying, oh, I don't know that question. It's, it's stunning. It's amazing. And then people go, oh, I've done this in my hundred days of code. I don't you know it. But that's the truth. And people should listen to more because, again, it, it gives them perspective. And honestly, you know, it doesn't try to give an answer. If it doesn't know, it doesn't know. Yeah, it's interesting. And some of, some of the advice you give, for example, when confronted with a situation is like, what is that? It's kind of like, well, well, I don't know. I don't know that. But here's what I can tell you about something related to it. Um, mm -hmm. or, or here's here's what I was planning to read about just next week or something like that. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, here's here's how I go about learning things when I don't know them. Um, uh, uh, I've got one very, actually, I kind of like to ask these sort of very specific questions, because often, often the hardest advice to get is about the most mundane things. Um, but, you know, I've, I've interviewed a few people and we're in the age of sort of, you know, Zoom interviews now, right? And, you know, some, sometimes someone's in a t-shirt and a ball cap and sometimes they've got their suit on with a tie. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when you're interviewing people now, um, you know, uh, what, what do you expect their background to be? Like, you know, little, little literal visual background mm -hmm. to be and, and what do you expect them to be? What would you... What would be what would be normal for them to be wearing that you wouldn't really notice it, and what would be like something you'd notice and take note of? It, you know, it's funny that you say that. So um, we did a round of interviews a, a few months ago. So we do lots of interviews, and usually nowadays, um, I think the the going to an interview with the you know with the full suit and tie and well dressed and hair down, it, it is not a, it doesn't seem to be expected anymore. Okay, I don't know if it's just on me, but you can even see in TVs nowadays, you know, lots of people usually they go from their home, they're not fully dressed as they were once, they're in their normal clothes, something changed there. So we did this interview where this guy actually showed himself up fully suited. And, you know, without joking, I actually told my co-workers, like, oh, this feels weird. And the reason for it is because he felt like the person wasn't really up to date with the industry. Um, it wasn't applying for a junior job, so I would have given that, but it was actually someone who worked in the industry and was trying to come as, 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 a, as an experienced person. And, and he felt like he was behind. So, you know, it's strange. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case. Um, uh, and usually, you know, also in the past, I personally never, uh, never took notice of how people would come and dress, come dressed up. Uh, the one thing that it was very important was being in time. 
I think there's nothing worse than someone is as an interview one coming 10 past one because it's, if he's the interview of your life, is really you mean it, you're going to be outside at least half an hour earlier. That's the only thing that really matters. But if you don't have, you know, if you're not well dressed or anything, I wouldn't say that it matters. But yeah, I, you know, don't go full, full tie and, uh, and things. I don't think it's the right time nowadays. That's funny. You just reminded me of an old, a very old story from a cousin of mine who, when he was applying for, uh, actually it was an accounting job, his first accounting job. Um, it, he went to this, it was a relatively small firm and it was winter in, in Canada. And, um, and mm -hmm. uh, but he went in a suit because, you know, he was going for a job interview to be an accountant, right? So like, and he gets there and the sort of three partners are all sitting there just in jeans and sweaters. Um, and uh, at, at the end, you know, you can imagine the sort of like, it obviously kind of awkward from the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. And at the end of the interview, which went well, and one of the partners sort of good humoredly said, you know, Tony, uh, it, you know, we've had this really good interview and you've given really good answers, but, you know, doesn't it, you know, feel strange to you for us to be sitting here in just jeans and sweaters and you're there in that suit and that tie? And he had to make a decision and he sort of took a breath and he leaned forward and he tapped on the desk and he said, I wore this tie because I want this job. Oh, <laughs> everybody erupted in laughter and it, it totally deflated it. But, but it's sort of yeah. another, just it reminded me, it's just another example of being honest, like, well, does yeah. it feel awkward? And it's like, I wore, I wore a suit because I want the job. I don't know what else to mm -hmm. say. You know, like that's, you know, that's just a, yeah. it might've been the wrong move, but the, the motive was right. Um, but anyway, yeah. um, those things can be very hard. And I just want anyone listening to know who's like, you know, it's, it actually, there is no, no way to know, but just like, you know, no. hold your, hold yourself to a high standard, think it through, maybe talk to people. If you can reach out on Twitter mm -hmm. uh, to people and ask things like that. And, and often people are very willing to, to help and be nice about, about things like yes. that. And, and don't be embarrassed to, to ask. Um, another very, and just to, just, uh, just to finish on this, another very specific thing that I think you say that is very good is do research on the company before yes. you go into the interview. This is, this is absolutely crucial. Um, mm -hmm. if, if, if it's, it's not just that if it, like it might not come up anything specific about the company, if it doesn't, you should bring it up you know, yes. uh, to, not just to demonstrate that you, you've done your, your homework and, and as, as it were, you kind of like, you understand mm -hmm. how the game is played and you've looked into it, but because you don't want to work at every company. Um, yeah. You really, it might feel like that when you're looking for your first job. And I mean, of course, if you're in financial circumstances where you need it, then you need it. There's nothing mm -hmm. else to say about that. But like some companies you don't want to work for, there are companies where there will be, a, for example, if you buy what Simona says about honesty, there will be yeah. companies where that will be held against you, where there might not be mm -hmm. anyone, everybody in the meeting room might be, yeah, that's right. He was honest about not knowing something. And that means he doesn't know how the game is played and he shouldn't mm -hmm. have his job. Um, and so, you know, you need, you, it's important and you should, you know, feel empowered in interviews to ask questions like, you know, what's, what's a, what's a day of work like here? I know that you guys worked on this yeah. project with this client or, or whatever. Um, th that's both impressive, you know, to the end interviewer um uh, yes. that sets you apart but it also sort of shows that you're kind of serious about like thinking about working there yeah like, like you mentioned you need to show that you mean it you need to show that you want it okay it doesn't just have to be a uh, oh i'm going to have a walk for 30 minutes to do an interview um you know it's you know like i said about arriving half an hour earlier there's nothing more powerful than you go to an interview and they tell you, oh, you found the place okay? And you say, oh yeah, I've been here for half an hour. And you should say, whoa, you know, that's okay. And you then answer and say, I didn't want to be late. Anything but I want, you know, that sets the standards for the interview to someone really mean it. Like you said as well, you know, knowing the company, being able to share that you read about the company and finish the interview to say something like, look, 
you know, really, you know, gives, like you mentioned, gives some um, small insight of, of, about the company and finish it on that note to say something like, I always wish to work in a company that does X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, say something that you also mentioned in the interview to show that you've done the research. That's, that's priceless. Yeah, and actually, that's funny. When it comes to being on time, that reminds me um, uh, back in the long ago when I was looking for, for jobs in London. Um, London in particular is the kind of place where it might be hard to find um, the location. Um, yeah. And so what I would do is I would, I would like case the joint. Um, I would make mm -hmm. sure to go to the location beforehand um, to mm -hmm. sort of find you like, what's the closest tube stop? You know, what's the street to go down? It might say it's on this street, but actually the entrance is on, the, is on another street or, yeah. you know, the sign might be above this door, but you actually need to go in that door. And mm -hmm. th these, are, these are the kinds of things that might seem like, what does that have to do with a career in, in tech or finance or whatever? But it's like everything, um, you know, yeah, yeah. because, you know, being, being, it's just about being prepared and it's not just showing it, it's like actually being prepared. Right. Um, on that note, uh, just the last thing I'd like to ask you about your book is, um, is that you talk in the end about um, the career or near the end, you talk about the career path. And so mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could just give people a little, uh, you know, little description of, you know, what are the, what are the typical kind of like titles and, and uh, you know, sort of what's the escalator? Yeah. So this is probably very, very driven by, you know, very detailed for a, for a, for a software engineer or front-end engineer or back-end engineer. Uh, but usually the path, um, you know, uh, the path follows this, okay? First and foremost, um, years of experience cannot be a, a only driven for seniority. So if people usually tell you, you need to have five years in your you know, you need to have X years, okay? Um, nowadays, things have changed so much. There are uh, so many, so many framework and, and uh, you know, the technologies are so fast moving that you can be a senior faster just because technology have a smaller lifespan. Uh, what you should say is, what you should say is um, when you start your career, uh, you expect to be a junior developer. Um, what the junior developer is, and I like to, you know, we do this in our current, um, you know, in our current work, but, you know, I, I always like to, to define it. A junior developer is expected to know how to fix some bugs, is expected to know how to go and learn about things, but junior developers is not expected to be able to write anything from scratch. So a junior developer is that eager person that is learning, that person that is going through, and usually, as I say, it's the person that fixes things. So the person that is able to get something that is being given to them is already built or is half built, and it will do a small part of it and fix it. Uh, as the career progresses, usually, uh, then you, you may reach a stage where you are uh, a mid-developer, okay? Mid-developers are usually just called software engineer or developer or front-end. The mid-medium doesn't really make sense in the developer environment. Um, the mid-developer is probably what, what hosts around 70 to 80% of all the developers because the junior stage is a, is a small stage. It's the stage in which you are defining your circle, your circle of knowledge. Um, so usually I would say you, you, stay, you stay in a junior stage within six months to a year, but if you're very driven that you can move forward, there's no problem at all. As you move forward to a mid-developer, mid that's where the real learning happens. Uh, the learning is not just a technical learning, it's also about working as a team is also about being able to hit deadlines. It's also about taking ownership of what you build and also be able to expand your knowledge. So what they say, uh, if the junior developer is the one who fixes the bugs, the, the, the mid developer is the one who creates, who can create small feature or tasks. So if the junior developer is the, the guy that fixes the bug in the corner, the mid developer is the one who creates a new feature. So a new search feature on the website. So you will have enough technical knowledge to do it, but, but it's not just about the technical knowledge. It's, 
he will be able to take ownership of that task and continue all the way through. Um, we move forward then we go to the senior developer. Uh, senior developer are not got, senior developer don't actually know a lot and extremely what, senior developer they've just been there before. So what the senior developer is, is someone who's done many mistakes many times and then done enough time to remember about them. So again, we go back to the honesty, is someone who's able to know where he will be able to help and when not. And usually senior developer will be able to take ownership for more than just a task, but actually take ownership of the team as well. So as a senior developer, you should be able to support your junior developer. You should be able to set the standards that is available for everyone. And also um, there is usually um, a very, um, something that you see in coding uh, when someone moves from medium to senior that a mid developer is a very complex code and does many things and they achieve. The senior developers actually is the easiest code to read. It's a code that a four year old can see because the senior developers knows that it's not about being cool, but it's about being inclusive for every member of the team. So what I usually say, a very good senior developer is the one that when he writes the code that you go into the PR, you can read it through and the junior should be able to do a PR of senior developer. So there's this misconception that if a senior developer open a PR that is called a pull request or so someone asking you for help, it's expecting that a junior should not be able to look your code. But that's, that's really, I think, is the wrong misconception because a senior developer, if he's a good senior, should write the code that even my child that is six years old should be able to read. And again, a senior developer should embrace the team, should bring the team forward. Uh, I really dislike the 10x developer or things like that because they don't have a meaning. If someone is really a driving star and everyone goes behind them, it's just showing off. So during um, um, Easter, uh, Easter day on the 1st of April, I created a 10X library on my GitHub account. So if you subscribe to that, you become a 10X developer now. Again, because I dislike that term. A 10X is just someone who wants to get attention. But a good developer doesn't want that. A good developer wants to help the junior that is between a team. Um, following that, then there is an architect. An architect actually goes completely behind understanding of, of, uh, um, of, of technical knowledge, I think. The architect is more about many moving parts. So decisions that are not just driven by the code, but decisions that are driven by the company, by the budget, by people that are working with, by the location. And all of that comes with a lot of experience. So you won't, you, you're not able to become an architect in a year, um, but you can move forward to the ladder and go into your mid side very quickly. And I've seen people turning in developer seniors in four, three, four years, they're very specialized. If you do a lot, you, you do too much, you're not able to move quicker, faster, yeah? If you try to have too many circles, you won't be able to specialize. If you specialize on really just one thing, you've got more chance of moving forward faster. I hope I answered the question. I don't oh, know you, 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 answered, you answered that question perfectly. Thank you very much. That was really great. And I especially yeah. like your description of what a, what a, what a true senior developer or a good senior developer should should code like right it, it should be they should be past the point of sort of being cool or or being complex mm -hmm. and hard to read uh, and realize that no no this this is this whole team effort and stuff like that yeah. and 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 um and it's actually really interesting i mean then what you were talking about being an architect has to understand the sort of things at the company level as well it's sort of similar right the i, I interviewed someone a while ago i think it might have been gregor hope who had this metaphor of the the, the, the architect is the guy who can go from, you know, Geordie LaForge to Captain Picard. He can go from the engine, the engineering to the bridge and he understands both sides and he can talk to both sides or she um, or they. Um, yeah. Uh, and, um, and yeah, so, but, but your description there, that was, that was really excellent, I thought. Uh, in the last part of this interview, um, when, if the guest is an author, um, we'd like to talk to them a little bit about their writing process and stuff like that. And um, 
uh, I noticed that uh, you used our upload um, uh, feature where you've, you've, you haven't used LeanPub's own sort of writing modes and stuff like that. You've, you've created your mm -hmm. book completely independently. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about what, uh, what, what tools you use to, to create the book, like the, literally the ebook files. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, well, I'm, I'm a newbie. So I would say if I go back, I made mistakes in the way I've done the, you know, the, the, the publishing myself. So I've actually created the books in Notion. So um, I use Notion, uh, and the reason why I use Notion, I was able to uh, break it down all in different chapters. Uh, so even before I started the book, my first part of the, the, the book was to actually create 15 to 20 different chapters. And then while I was working and I had a little idea, I would go into the chapter and I would put bullet points on each of the chapters. And I would do that in Notion. Um, I use Notion for my work. I use it a lot. So it's very, very well defined. I had all my templates and everything. And I found it to be very simple because I was able to access it from my computer, from my phone, from everywhere. Um, so, uh, you know, the writing skills within Notion are very similar to uh, the one that I wrote for Berlin Pub because it's all in Markdown. So what I usually was able to do, I was able to do um, alpha chapter an evening, every evening. And I was able to go back. And again, in Notion, I was able to have a list where I say, if I was, I've written it, if I've reviewed it, if I've asked someone to review it, and I was able to keep that note between myself. Um, the thing that I was not fully aware of is that Notion offers you uh, too many markdown options that uh, are not very supported by uh, many people. So I have, um, you know, at the end of the chapter, I was used to do this little uh, graphic with icons, and then I was used to do other things. Very simple to do Notion, very hard to do in other uh, tools, you know, LeanPub is one of them. So uh, I was uh, I was starting to, I started to move my notion into LeanPub um, and I started to, to address it. And then I realized, I was honest with myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm spending loads of hours. So, you know, I was able to do a chapter every night or every other night. And I was spending nights and nights and I was doing it and it was a mistake. So I didn't know how to do it. And, so that's when, again, I stopped. I know that is not my expertise. It's not something that I want to learn because I'm not going to write a book every day. So I actually went to Fiverr.com and I gave, I gave the markdown to someone and said, can you make it into a book? And actually it was turned into a book for me for, um, for um, I think, 30,000 30, pounds. No, sorry, $30. That's all I paid. So again, for me, those $30, I spent way more in hours and effort trying to do one chapter. It was like, it's fine, it's fantastic. Uh, but if I'll go back, I would probably do a little bit more learning on what LeanPub will allow because what I wanted was a markdown editor. So I know as well that um, LeanPub offers the possibility to write in a, um, in a GitHub repo, if I'm not wrong, or in Dropbox. So I would have been able to do that uh, precisely back. Was my misunderstanding? I tried to be too cool, so I've added too many things. Uh, again, I realized when it was too much and uh, offset it. Oh, thanks, thanks very much. That's a really great answer, actually. That's that's um that's uh one of the reasons we we really like to do do this sort of segment in the podcast is you know let uh, so it's for other people who are starting out or who you know sort of like learning things on their own. Everybody learns everything for the first time for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. and uh, and and sometimes you sort of you know. What's the what's the learn when to fish and when to cut bait, as it were, and you know, um, yes. uh, and 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 sometimes you know, sort of you know, ha handing it off to someone else who already knows how to do it. If you've got if you've got the money or or what have you, uh, is is the best thing to do. Other things to do is then then think about well, what would I, what would I do differently next time and all that kind of stuff. But that's that's a really great sort of and it's sort of in some ways typical kind of resourceful author path that you took there. I would say, um, uh, the last question um, we always like to ask is um, if there was one magic feature we could build for you on LeanPub, or if there was one terribly awful, broken 
thing that you found that you would ask us to fix. Uh, can you think of anything? Can you think of anything you ask us to do? So the, the, the only, um, I, I love the, the old flow of being able to add it. It's very easy to set up the, you know, to, um, you know, to set up the whole third, the book and everything else around it. So it's been, that, that's been fantastic. I know that no one actually complained on the people that bought the book and everyone that went through the flow. Um, as, as an author, what was complicated for me was um, uh, when I was trying to import the markdown from Notion to Limpar, um, there were errors. So when I was trying to build it, it was it will say there was an error building, but it didn't tell me what error. And that's why it took so long because it would have to take all the parts out, publish it again. No. And then what happened is that I was doing lots of changes in the markdown in Limpab, and then they were different from my notion. So then it wasn't able anymore. So I, I think one for most is give more guidance of what is going wrong when you when you build it, because I think I'm not the only one who will use a different markdown. And I may be wrong on that. Um, and then also what they probably, the same thing that they use in Notion. So ability for people to build up the book slowly would be very useful. And what that means probably uh, being able to put uh, like note section where you can add a list and a sub list and then you can cross them out as they do them. Um, so I think that's something else that would be very useful because at the moment I don't think there would be a, a easy way. You can do it in the market as you write it down, but you won't have a visible list. So some an example would be, um, as they remember, oh, I need to, you know, I need to mention about that that time that my manager said they would write those things down. And as I write the book, I was like, oh, this is good now, and I will take it. So that would probably again. But I'm a very, I'm a newbie developer, I'm a newbie writer, so I don't know if anyone else would uh, actually use it. Oh no, no, thanks very much. Those are those are really great, really great suggestions and a really great description of the difficulty. So, um, uh, yeah, Limpa books are written in something called Markua, which is basically the markdown mm -hmm. for books, um, and. Um, uh, and it's it's different from you know the markdown that you might use in, in other apps and stuff like that that might have their own specifications. And so if you're starting from scratch, if you're starting a book brand new in 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 LeanPub writing in plain text in Markua, then you'll just go, how do I do this? So I'll go to the manual and I'll, I'll you know search for it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do it that way. Mm -hmm. If you've already written the book, getting it into LeanPub does mean then you're just you're just going to have to curate it. Uh, it, to make yes. it match Markua's mm -hmm. specification and and rules and stuff like that, and actually, it's that's actually one of the reasons that we built the upload. Bring we call it we used to call it bring yeah. your bring your own book as in bring your own beer, but like you know we used to call it bring your own book. It's like because people would be like, hey, I've written a book, you know, and I'm I'm by the way, I'm a programmer, mm -hmm. like I know how to do stuff, but mm -hmm. I just don't want to. I don't want to have yeah. to redo everything just so I end up with the same result. I've already got my ebook file, so we're like, well, how dumb are we? Let's just let let's let people upload yeah. their books. Um, so that's what that exists for. Um, and uh, and with respect to uh, errors, so yeah, so for anyone listening who hasn't used LeanPub before, if you're writing in one of our writing modes, you write in plain text. You know, you, then you click a button to create a preview, so you can get PDF, EPUB, and Mobi and Web, and you know, just mm -hmm. privately privately to you and see what's what what's it look like. And if our if our if our book generators fail at a certain step. Um, what we don't have uh, is uh, sort of expressive error messages. We do have some, you can turn on some error messages, but they're kind of like, if you're not very technical, they won't be very useful. And even if you are, they won't be very useful. So they're there for some sort of power users, but having having expressive error messages that say like line, this failed at even, even if it's like line, something at line 52 in file one two three dot txt is where is where the error happened um yeah. would be very helpful and that's something that we know and it's something that we're working on um, even a linting even yeah. a linting so as you write it it tells you this is not supported 
that could be as easy as that. So you yeah. actually fix even before you do the preview. Yeah, no, that would that would be really great too. Um, and yeah, and that that would definitely be sort of you know in in the future. Um, and and then when it comes to structuring and like you know note, notes and stuff like that, yeah, that's definitely something that we don't have features around either. And we do know that they're you know like I'm I'm very much a structure type person, <laughs> um, you know, and and I like to you know have an outline in advance and stuff like that. And for for people like that, you know, there's I don't know, yeah, Notion or or um, Scrivener mm-hmm. and Evernote and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And you know, like someday future Lean Pub may have something like that, but that. Yeah, it would be that it's in, you know, lots of authors use things like that. And that's something like, you know, down the road. Um, but we definitely understand, yeah. understand the need for it. Um, well, and thank you very much for those great answers and for the, for the great interview and for taking some time out of your evening to talk to me and to talk to our audience. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great. And uh, I'm happy that I was able to answer all the questions. Thanks a lot. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a Lean Pub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.